Welcome back to Views from Third Man. For those of you who are first-time listeners, this is a cricket podcast where we look at the events in world cricket from a fan's point of view. And today we're looking at one of the most interesting series that's going to take place in world cricket in the year 2021. India versus England in England. It's one of the rivalries you think, but it's actually not that much of a rivalry, especially in test match cricket. England come to India and lose. India go to England and lose. And since this is an India-centric podcast, let's look at the numbers for this to really break it down from an Indian point of view. So we're looking at numbers since 2011 as one data point and numbers since 2018, which was the last round of Senators, South Africa, England, New Zealand and Australia. But you had a tour of South Africa, a tour of New Zealand, a tour of England and two tours of Australia. That's enough data points to use. So, 2011 onwards, India played 14 test matches in England against England. Right? This, isn't, this doesn't count the World Test Championship final. And if you actually bring that to consideration, then India would have lost 12 of those. But against England, India had lost 11, won 2, one victory in Trent Bridge in 2018, and that famous Lord's Test in 2014, and drawn only one game in the last decade. The numbers simply don't add up for the kind of team that India has assembled and the fact that India won five test maces na- test in a row. Bring New Zealand into that equation as well and you'll see that Indian batsmen struggle against the moving ball. But disclaimer before we start breaking down the numbers, with without Kohli, Chiteshwar Pujala and Ajinkya Rahane, there's genuine pedigree over there. It's just about one of them getting it right on the day and you've got yourself a victory. It's not something to be majorly alarmed about. Because if you look at their numbers, it's not like they're in rock bottom and they go to moving conditions where the ball moves around and all of a sudden they forget how to bat. Ajinkya Rahane actually still averages better away from home than he does in India. And Virat Kohli's tours in 2018, especially that last England tour, where he made almost double the runs anybody else did against the, in, the, in the toughest English conditions Arguably in the last 10 years with the way the Duke's ball was behaving that year, the way Jimmy Anderson was bowling, making 593 runs in 10 innings. When he's at the peak of his powers, there is no better batsman in the world than him. But he hasn't been at the peak of his powers in a while. But there's still pedigree over there. So before we start breaking down the Indian batting lineup, let's talk about what India's positives are. What are the opportunities? Where can India actually benefit in this series? And I think number one is the fast bowling. Jaspreet Bumrah, Ishan Sharma, Mohammad Shami as the first three picks. I know Bumrah's been having a bit of an off-season this year, but he's too good a bowler to keep not getting wickets and bowling incredibly well. Because as of now, he's bowling well and still not getting wickets. It happens, it's fine, I'm sure he'll bounce back. With Mohammad Siraj and Umesh Yadav as backups, you'll notice that each of those five is a fantastic red ball bowler, but don't really offer you anything with the bat. But that's where India's two spinners come into play. Now, keep in mind that you're playing in England in August and September. And ever since 2018, that's the second data point we're using. There have not been better spinners in world cricket across all conditions. Forget about in the subcontinent or in Sena countries. There have not been better spinners than Zavitrandan Ashwin and Zavindra Jadeja, especially in Test Match cricket. Jadeja, in fact, statistically speaking, has been the best all-rounder in the world since then. And his numbers in comparison to somebody like a Ben Stokes are shocking. It just goes to show how good a player the Vindra Jadeja actually is. So Ashwin has got 42 wickets in the 12 test matches that he's played outside India since 2018. 
And in the seven test matches Jadeja has played, he's got 24. They both average less than 30, with pretty decent strike rates of under 60 as well, which are quite similar to what their numbers used to be in India in the early parts of their career, 2013-14. Of course, in India, they've gotten a lot better now, but still, to produce those kind of numbers on pitches where the ball doesn't turn at all is phenomenal. And Zishan Pant, that number six, is a genuine match winner. But the problem really for India in Sena countries over the last three years has been the batting. The bowlers have won you test matches, but the batsmen still have to save the games. Last time India went to England, India lost 4-1. And it was astonishing to see how close the results actually were. Without Kohli, was like a beacon for India in that series, scoring almost 600 runs. But the next best by an Indian batsman was KL Rahul with 290-something runs, out of which 147 of those came in one inning. So he really got no support in that tour. Yes, Pujara got 100, but he still didn't get more than 250 runs in that series. So India's batting really needs to step it up. If you look at Virat Kohli, Ajinkya Rahani and Chiteshwar Pujara, Virat Kohli had a fantastic year in 2018. He was at the peak of his powers and at the time was the best batsman in the world across any formats. At the peak of his powers, he averaged 55 and made three centuries that year. One in Centurion, one in Perth and one in Edge Batsman. I think they were so close together, people have forgotten how good they actually were. But if you play one of those in your career, it goes down as the defining knock of that year, if not the next five years for you as a player. Jiteshwar Pujara, on the other hand, has actually scored more runs in Virat Kohli in Test cricket since 2018 in Sena country, scoring 1,350 runs or roundabout thereabouts. But he averages a lot less with a much lower strike rate, but that's just the way Pujara plays. But if you take out that one very good Australian toy in 2018, you'll notice that Pujara actually averages under 30 and that strike rate falls even lower to the point where he may actually be digging the team into a hole and the rest of the batting lineup has to dig them out of that. That's not a scenario that you want. And the same with Ajinkya Rahane. Rahane was viewed as somebody who played much better in difficult conditions away from home than he did at home. But that scenario has actually been reversed since 2018, where Rahane's home numbers, where he averages above 50 at home since then, are actually turning out to be a lot better than his away numbers. Where still, he's still averaging about 30 away, but it's not enough for a player of Rahane's caliber. That one innings at the MCG, that historic knock of 112, really bolsters his figures, but you want more from Pujara and Rahane. But I think there's another pause for this. If you look at India's tours earlier, before 2018, Ajinkya Rahane at least averaged a lot more away from home than he did. And I think that's because of a certain Murli Vijay who batted at the top of the order and blunted the new ball. That's what India have been missing. Ever since 2011, that was the other statistical point we talked about, Indian opening batsmen only have one 100-run opening stand away from home in Sena countries. That came in the year 2011. So it's been almost a decade since the openers were able to give you a decent start, a start from which you could actually go on to get a first innings lead and put pressure on the opposition and win a test match. India's middle order has always been playing catch-up, which is why the numbers maybe may not show how good they've actually been and how much work they've put in to making sure India get results overseas. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on Rohit Sharma as an opening batsman because still there's no clue. With Shubman get injured, there's no idea who his opening partner is going to be. Is it going to be Prithvi Shaw? Is it going to be Abhimanyu Vaisman? Is it going to be Mayank Agarwal? I think it looks like it's going to be Mayank Agarwal, but don't be surprised if Abhimanyu Vaisman also makes a very strong case for that. He has fantastic numbers 
in domestic cricket, but it really is make or break for Rohit Sharma, the test match opener. After becoming opener, Rohit Sharma had a fantastic start to his test career. He made 500 runs in the first five or six test matches he played as an opener. But if you look at Rohit Sharma's numbers as the middle order batsman in India and as an opener in India, they're both incredible. As an opener in India, he averages about 120. And as a middle order batsman, he averages about 80. But if you look at his numbers away from home, whether he's opening the batting or batting down the order at number five or six, his numbers are surprisingly similar. So, Rohit Sharma is still getting you those stars. He's getting you those 30 runs of 80 balls or 40 runs of 70 balls. But he's not converting those starts into big innings. He's not blunting the new ball as well as you would have liked. Because you're not only supposed to just blunt the new ball and wear the shine away. You're actually supposed to make that into a match-winning innings, which is something he's not doing. So the next batsman coming in is once again always playing catch-up. So if India can get that opening stand right, and if then the middle order can build off of that and let the bowlers do their thing, which they've been doing incredibly well over the last three to four years, then I think India have a very good chance of winning this series. Fortress Edge Bastion, breaking Fortress Edge Bastion, will be incredibly important. They almost pulled it off last year. It's just a matter of time to see if they can do that this time. So what about England then? I think England have a different set of problems than India, where it's not like they lack depth in cricket. The hundred, the blast, and the way they've played against Pakistan recently has showed the kind of depth that Indian has, that England, sorry, has. India, in fact, also has a lot of depth, so it's easy to get the two confused. England also has a lot of depth, but they have a different problem in Test cricket, where a lot of their players are at very similar stages in their Test career, where you know there's talent there because they've done it on the big stage multiple times, but they're not consistent enough, and more often than not. The top three or four batsmen in the side, batting order-wise, not in terms of how pedigree the batsmen actually are, tend to do enough just to warrant a place in the side, but aren't actually winning you any games. Rory Burns is the first to break out of this chain. He's done incredibly well, and I think he starts for England. But you look at Dominic Sibley and Zach Crawley, Dan Lawrence, Johnny Bairstow, in fact, who doesn't have particularly good test numbers. These are all players who do enough to stay in the side, but aren't winning England any games. And when your top three positions in the side aren't very secure, then somebody like Joe Root, who's under a lot of pressure, as all England captains have been, England being the home of cricket, of course, isn't able to freely express himself as a batsman, which would explain the drastic drop in his conversion rate ever since he was given the captaincy and ever since Sir Alistair Cook retired. The loss of Alistair Cook is something England haven't really been able to make up for yet. With somebody who should be an ICC Hall of Fame and has upwards of 12,000 test runs, is obviously going to be very difficult to, um, to, to replace. Now, there's no Ben Stokes for this series. Ben Stokes has pulled out of this tour. He needs a break from the bio bubble, which is completely understandable. He's gone through a lot over the last three, four years, not only with the COVID-19 pandemic. And players do need the rest, which is... Completely fine. I don't think anyone should criticize Ben Stokes for wanting to take a break from the bio bubble. But it actually gives England a very interesting opportunity. They've been adopting this policy of rest and rotation. But this would be the perfect chance for them to look at somebody like an Ollie Pope and a Joss Butler, Dan Lawrence, and say, you know what, Ben Stokes isn't there. You have the number five slot for this series. We're going to give you 10 innings, go out and get 350, 400 runs, and your place for the Ashes is secure. Somebody like an Ollie Pope or Zach Crawley, who they see as a serious prospect, should use the lack of Ben Stokes in this side as a way to solidify their place for the Ashes. Because I do see Chris Wokes, Sam Cullen, Moeen Ali occupying that lower middle order slot. 
the lower middle order isn't really a problem for England. Their tail does tend to wag, does, does tend to wag a little bit of players like Broad and Stone coming in at 9 and 10. And then the evergreen James Anderson coming in at number 11. He's three wickets away from being the third highest wicket taker in the history of Test match cricket. I mean, after he overtakes Anil Kumble, which I do think he will get three wickets in these 10 innings, unless he gets injured in the first innings or something along those lines. He's looking then at Shane Watt, who is 100 wickets away from him, and then Mutaya Mulligan. But that's the summit. I think that's a bit too far from him, given his age as well. But his numbers have tapered off a little bit. Anderson only with 17 wickets in the last 13, 14 test matches he's played. But he's good enough of a bowler to bounce back. Watching Jimmy Anderson play is going to be absolutely incredible. It's like watching poetry in motion. The battle between Anderson and Kohli has been won for the ages. And I do think once again, that's going to be the deciding factor in this series. Broad versus Ruhit Sharma opening the batting just to see if Indian openers can hang in there. And Jimmy Anderson versus without Kohli. Poetry in motion. Two legends of the game going head-to-head against each other. Anderson, historically, in that famous 2014 tour, which changed without Kohli's career, Anderson got him out more times than anyone. But ever since then, without Kohli has actually lost his wicket to every single bowler in the English side, except James Anderson. Be it 2016, 18 or 21, Anderson just can't seem to get Kohli out anymore. But he's got him edged multiple times and catches have been dropped. The most famous one, of course, was when he went straight through Keaton Jennings when without Kohli was batting at about 20 and he went on to make 150. So don't drop without Kohli England. With that, let's just look forward to this season. I hope it's a good round of test match cricket. Desperately needs some good test cricket. Five test matches. Interesting to see what happens. As long as we get competitive cricket, I don't think the result is really particularly important for this series. Both sides have a greater goal in mind. India with the T20 World Cup and England with the Ashes. So let's just hope we see some very good cricket.